Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Well, in 2022, there was a team of young people called the Dutch Domino Team, and they gathered in a large convention hall at the World Domino Collective, and they gathered there to try to break a record. And yes, that is a nerd convention. (laughs) If you like to do dominoes and you go to conventions like that, I think that is for those type of people. But this group had 750,000 dominoes in two weeks to set up those dominoes one by one next to each other to attempt to break the record for the most dominoes set up then toppled. In their video, you can watch a video, you can see that they set up those dominoes and actually created beautiful pictures of, you know, colorful horses and uh, they even have one of space, the galaxy. They have another one where it's, a, it's actually a roller coaster where the, the, the dominoes go up a ladder and then they go down. And it's pretty amazing, pretty remarkable to see this complex array of designs and pictures, very colorful castles, towers. And then that day came, and I have a video of this as well, the day when those dominoes fell. And what happened is one of those workers went up and pushed the first domino, and the next domino fell, the next domino fell, and there was a cascading effect of each domino pushing down the next in rapid succession, and for the next 17 minutes, those dominoes fell. I tried watching the video with my family, and it just was too long. (laughs) We fast-forwarded to the end. And yes, they did fall down. They zigged, they zagged, they went up, they went down, and eventually everything came crashing down at the very end. It was a pretty amazing feat, pretty awesome sight. But as you watch those dominoes fall, we expect that the next one will fall. The next one will fall. We expect them to all come crashing down in sequential order until the end. And I want to give you that picture When you think about the sovereign plan of God, God's sovereign plan is fulfilled in sequential order, whereby one event affects the next, then the next, then the next, and that continues to happen until the end. And if you look at it from God's perspective, his order of history is beautiful, It displays his glory and his salvation. He causes history to take place according to his design. And it's like he set up history as these events and there to one happens and it affects the next event like those dominoes set up. And eventually until the end when it is over. However, when you're down in the midst of History, when you, if you want to say, are one of those dominoes, sometimes you don't really know what's going on, right? And sometimes you're waiting. Sometimes you're wondering if it's all going to work out or what's even happening. 
And so I think passages like 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28, give us hope that God has a plan. And not just that he has a plan, but his events, his timeline is put in order on purpose. He does what he does because it's according to his design. This passage teaches us that because Christ has been raised, God's plan of resurrection will be fulfilled. This text is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's like the resurrection of Christ set off the rest of the dominoes of history. And because Christ has been raised, other resurrections are destined to take place. And so what we see in this text of scripture is that he lays out these different order of events and says, first Christ rose and then he ascended and it's at the right hand of the father. He's reigning, he's ruling. And because Christ has been raised, he has now the ability, the power, the authority to resurrect dead souls to life. He can resurrect the spiritually dead to life eternal. That's called regeneration. And that because Christ has been raised, there will be a day when he will return as the conquering king. And all of us who are in Christ will have our bodies resurrected to be with the Lord. Because Christ has been raised, he rules and continues to rule to the very end of history, and at the very end, he will abolish all death, all sin, Satan, and every evil thing. And because he has been raised, he is able and will resurrect a new earth, a new universe, a new existence, and he will turn all of that over under the authority of God the Father to the glory of God so that God is all in all. That's what this text teaches this morning. And so what I want to show you this morning is the future results of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why does it matter that he rose again? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but in this text, it shows us why it matters for the future. And so because Christ has been raised, we're going to see the results of what that means for us. Would you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Verse 20 through 28. I'm going to read this out loud. Would you follow along with me? Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And when it says all things are put in subjection, 
it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Back at this time, in the first century, in the Greco-Roman world, there was a view, the most predominant view, was that there was no resurrection of the dead. That is to say, they believed once your body died, that was it. No more body. Your soul may continue on, but there's no body after that. There's no resurrection of your body. And that Greek worldly philosophy infiltrated Judaism If you remember in Matthew chapter 22, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they tried to trick Jesus with a question about that. And Jesus says, you don't know the scripture. The scripture actually teaches that God does raise the dead. But that same Greek doctrine infiltrated a local church like this in Corinth. And so you can see that in verse number 12. Verse 12, Paul identified this is a problem He says at the end of that verse that some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. So this makes no logical sense. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then it follows that there is a resurrection of the dead. So you can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead and also believe there's no resurrection of the dead. And that's what he says in verses 12 through 19. He gives the logical implications of rejecting bodily resurrection. And basically his conclusion is, if you believe that, that a person doesn't have a bodily resurrection after death, if that's not possible, then Jesus never rose again. Then the scriptures aren't to be accepted and believed. In fact, there's no salvation. We're hopeless. Let's go home. There's no point on coming to church and saying you're a Christian. But in verse 20, Paul responded to that hopeless, false doctrine with truth. Look at verse 20. He says, he writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's a fact. It's true. Like at Easter, we say, he is risen. And I said this last week. He is risen. And we respond with? And what, why we do that is we're reminding ourselves of the truth, of the reality that he is not dead, he is alive. He rose again, and he still is alive. And that resurrected human body, he truly is God, Jesus truly is God, and he truly became man. And he truly was resurrected as a man. We live in a society that likes to pretend that facts don't matter, right? People often say, well, that's your view of truth, and I have my truth, right? Or you have your interpretation, I have mine, or that's, that's true for you, but not true for me. But, but that's not reality, right? Your view, if your view is not factual, then you're wrong. If my view is not factual, if our view as Christians, if it's not true that Jesus rose from the dead, then we're wrong, There's truth and there's error. There's right and there's wrong. And our society rejects that. But our Christianity is based upon fact, based upon truth. 
to the resurrection of Jesus is evident. It's true. It's a reality. Just as much as you are sitting in this room and that's a reality, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He has risen and he is in heaven now. So why does it matter? If that's the fact, if it's like, okay, he's risen, why does it matter? You might be a child in this room and be like, yeah, I hear about the resurrection all the time. What does it really matter that he's been, like, how does that affect me? How does it affect our world? How does that affect history? That's really the question before us in this text this morning. And really the answer is that the resurrection of Christ set off the chain of divine events that will conclude with the entire creation being resurrected. And then, like I said earlier, then Christ will turn that over to the Father for the glory of God so that God may be all in all. And so let's look at some of the reasons, some of the, I should say, some of the results of Christ's resurrection. First of all, because Christ has been raised, like his resurrection, you can be resurrected too. And I say can because not every person on earth will be resurrected. It's only those who are in Christ. So if you are a believer, if you're in Christ, you can insert will, right? It's a promise for you. But because he has been resurrected, you can be resurrected. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Christ has been raised. And just notice those words right there. Notice that verb. It's a perfect tense, which is important because it means that it happened at a certain point in history and it has continuing results. In other words, there was a time in history that the Bible records that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she found out that, yes, just moments before that, we don't know how long before that, but moments before that, Jesus had come out of that tomb and he had been resurrected. And it continues. Like, he's still in that resurrected body. And so that means that it's something that continues on. He is alive in that resurrected body today. And then notice that verb says that Christ has been raised. It's a passive. It's something that happened to him. So here's a question. Who raised Jesus from the dead? What do you think about that? What's the answer to that question? Who raised Jesus from the dead? The answer the scripture gives, and let me show this to you in a moment. The answer is that it was the triune God. We believe the Bible teaches God is one being who eternally exists as Father, Father, Son, and Spirit. So the answer to the question, who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, it was God from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say that, do you go, oh, wow, this is like hurting my head? <laughs> it might. But I hope also you, you, you consider that and think, I really want to know what that means. Because there's a, there's a point when we consider God that he is beyond our full comprehension because he's infinite or finite. And as we go into eternity, we will gain more and more knowledge about God, and that will happen for eternity. I don't think we'll ever fully comprehend him because he's infinite. We are finite individuals. 
But we worship a God who is one being yet three persons. And it's important for us to understand that because that's how God works. That's how he resurrected Jesus from the dead. And get this, that is how he will resurrect us as well. So who raised Jesus from the dead? It was a triune God. So let me just show this to you. I have some verses on the screen up here for you. First Galatians chapter one, verse one, the father raised Jesus from the dead. So it was from the father. It was the father's will. It was his plan. And then we read in John chapter 10, verse 18, that Jesus said that nobody takes his life from him. In other words, he didn't die by accident. He actually chose to go to the cross and actually chose to die. Remember, he said on that cross that he gave up his spirit into your hands. I commit my spirit. In other words, he gave the indication that he was choosing to die at that moment. And then he says, I lay it down, my life at my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. That's resurrection. This command I received from my father. So Jesus raised himself from the dead based upon the command of the father. But then we also see in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, and there's, there's other texts of scripture. I just pulled these out just to help us get through this passage this morning. Romans 8, 11 teaches the spirit energized the body of Jesus so that his human DNA was brought back to life and given eternal imperishable qualities that would make it so his body would never die again. Did you get that? The Holy Spirit so energized the the human DNA of Jesus that it reconstituted it into eternal, imperishable DNA. So we believe, the Bible says that, Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we know it was the Holy Spirit who energized the, re- the body of Jesus to be resurrected, to be made new. And also this text, Romans 8.11 informs us that the same thing the Holy Spirit did to Jesus' body, he's going to do with our bodies after we die there in the tomb and he has that day of resurrection. And so why Is it important who resurrected Jesus? Well, it's because Christ has been raised and like his resurrection, you can be and will be, if you're a believer, resurrected too. The father will command it to be so. The son will appear in the air and in obedience to his father, he will make it so. And the spirit will so energize your body that he will take your earthly DNA. He will reconstitute it and supernaturally organize it so that your body will be incorruptible, eternal, holy, without flaw, perfectly made in the image of God. And all God's people said, amen. You look forward to that time. Won't that be pretty amazing? So what will that be like? You're like, what will my body be like? If I take out a mirror and look at myself, what will it be like? Well, look at verse 20. We'll answer that question throughout this. But verse 20, notice what it says, that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, many of you have trees in your yard that are citrus trees or other type of fruit trees. 
When we were in South Carolina, we tried to grow some fruit trees, and they didn't work. One of the great things about California is, is that, I mean, some people still fail like us out here, but it's, it's a little bit easier to be more successful out here in that. And so some of you in your yard, you might have avocado trees or lemons or grapefruits or those navel oranges. Does anyone have those in your yard, those navel oranges? Okay, maybe you don't want to, or another kind of orange. Okay, don't admit it because we might be going to your house afterwards. But you think about those, those large, sweet, seedless orange. You know those ones that are easy to peel? Aren't those delicious? Those are so good. And if we were to come to your house, if you have one of those, trees, those citrus trees, and we were to come to your house right when everything's beginning to bloom and then it ripens, and we were to take the very first orange that ripened off of that tree, that would be a first fruit. And so you would peel it, maybe, uh, maybe you give it to us to peel, we, we would peel it and we would see that juicy piece of fruit and we would eat it. And we would expect that the rest of the fruit of that tree is going to have the same nature the same qualities, and really the same even um, characteristics as that piece of fruit, right? They're going to be different pieces. They're not the same, but they're going to be similar in their composition. They're going to be similar in their qualities. That first fruit is an indication of what the rest of the fruits are going to be like. So the first fruits of the harvest are the first fruits of what have ripened before the rest. And the expectation is that the rest of those fruits will have the same type of nature. And so when you see here that Christ is a first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, and that word fallen asleep is a reference to believers who have died, it means that he was the very first human to die and then come back to life in a new resurrected body that would never die again. But you say, you know, Pastor Ben, I know the Bible talks about other people who are resurrected. So was he the very first? Well, the answer is yes. How, how do we know that? Well, for 2 Kings 4, it talks about Elisha uh, brought the Shunammite son back to life. Remember that story? That the Shunammite woman had a son that she loved and she was sad because he had died and she had put him on his bed and she ran and got Elisha and grabbed his legs and, you know, said, you know, the man of God, come and, and help my son. And he came and he brought that boy back to life. Or about Mark chapter 5, Jesus went into the house of Jairus, the daughter, uh, Jairus, who had a daughter who had died. And he brought in Peter, James, and John. Jesus brought those guys in, but everyone was laughing. They were saying, oh, this, this girl's already dead. You can't do anything for her. But yet Jesus showed that he had the power over death. He raised her from the dead. Or John chapter 11, when Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the tomb and everyone was standing around looking at this tomb where there was a, a man who his body had been in the grave for four days and he'd already begun to rot and smell and Jesus caused his body to come back to life. But all of those people eventually died again. Their resurrections only brought back their sin-cursed body to life. And the curse eventually had its corrupting effect. And that body wore out. That body ended up dying. However, Jesus' resurrected body was different. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he had a body that was incorruptible, that was eternal. And I should say, not was, but is, right? He still has that body. And his promise is, is that he's going to share with us that type of glorious 
body. So that fact that Christ is the first fruits of those believers who die means that Jesus was the first one to come back to life with an eternal resurrection. Christ is the first fruits means that the type, listen to this, the type of body that Jesus was resurrected with is the type of body you will have. If I were to pluck one of those oranges off of that tree and eat it, you would expect that the other oranges are going to have the same nature, be of the same nature. Since Christ is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, the logical conclusion is that those who are resurrected by God will have the same type of resurrection as Jesus. In fact, we can see this in other texts of Scripture. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're waiting for Christ to come back for his church. And the Bible says in verse 21, who, who will transform our lowly body, that's our earthly body, to be like his glorious body. And notice, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So the idea of Christ the first fruits is that like Christ's earthly body was buried and died, someday you're going to die but so too, like Christ's body was resurrected from the tomb, there will be a day when our bodies will be resurrected to be like Christ. We experience funerals all the time, don't we? Funerals are an opportunity for us to face the reality that each one of us on this earth has a guarantee, and that is that our Lives will end. And for the Christian, funerals are not experiences to remember the end, but they are times to remember the hope of the new beginning. And that hope is found in the fact that like Christ's earthly body was transformed into a glorious body at resurrection, so too our body will be transformed to be like his. And the point is that those who die in Christ, they're not going to perish. They're not going to cease existing. No, they're destined for a resurrection like his resurrection. I've stood next to the bedside of men and women who have either passed at that moment or had moments or hours away from their time when they were going to pass. And some were afraid. I can remember some instances of individuals who were crying that they didn't want to go. I don't know what to expect. And I'm also stood next to the bedside of believers who were smiling. And they were singing. Or other people around were singing, and they were trying to sing, and they were rejoicing, and they were eager to go. And I could say, frankly, those have been the majority of the ones I've experienced. But what's the difference between the two? I really think the difference is, is that one person, that one person who's, who's not eager, they're even maybe a little afraid, they don't know what to expect on the other side. Because all those individuals I was talking about, 
Like, they confessed faith in Christ, and I do really believe that they were believers. But I think some of them, they just, they had a really immature view of what was going to happen next. I mean, they longed to stay in this world because this, this seemed like reality. The other, side, the other side didn't seem like reality. And I think part of the problem is that they didn't have a, a realistic expectation of what God was going to do to their body and where they were going to go. I mean, think about it this way. If you imagine yourself floating in space for eternity, who would want to do that? Like, I've heard of people being like, well, what are we going to do if we're like just floating around in heaven or we're like, you know, these, we're like these ghosts that are like, like, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that. You, you believe something that's false. So if you believe that, no wonder you're going to be scared or not want to go there. Who wants to go float somewhere, you know, by Neptune? That's weird. That's not the Bible. But the Bible teaches that we can long for eternity because we will see Jesus face to face in a resurrected body. It's not that you're going to look just like Jesus, okay? It's not like everyone in here is going to be like little Jesus walking around, you know, heaven and then the new earth someday. But it's the idea is that your body will be glorified like Jesus. Like his DNA was supernaturally glorified. So he had, a, he had an eternal human body. Your DNA will be supernaturally glorified. So you'll have an eternal human body. And here's the, here's the cool thing is that you're going to look like you. I mean, hopefully people like me will have more hair. And you knew that joke was coming at some point, okay? But the point is, is that when we see each other, you're not, you don't have a new body. You're not going to be some robot in heaven, you know, that just is like all these plain, like those movies you see where everyone's just plain. Like, and you're like, who are you? And it's not like you're not going to remember people. You have your memories. You're going to know people. You're going to remember people. I'm going to look at Jorge and be like, Jorge! You look good, man, in your resurrected body. You look good on earth too, but really look good as you're glorified now. Does that make sense? Like, that's what we're looking forward to. It means that you are truly human in eternity. Our world longs to picture what the next life is like, right? I mean, you have these movies that come out, and it's like, you know, heaven is for real. And I, I can't believe how many people have talked to me over the years about movies or books like that. Be like, have you seen that? Oh, it makes it so real. It's like, it's like, it's like you know that heaven is real. Can I just tell you, those baloney movies, don't watch those. If you want to know that heaven is for real, you know what the Bible says to do? Look at Jesus. When he rose again, he was for real. <laughs> like, he ate he touched people. He talked to people. He fellowship. If you want to know that heaven is for real, look at Jesus and look at him after he rose again. He wasn't a ghost going around. And he did do some things that were like, how did he do that? Okay. But the idea is people recognized him. And there were times when some people didn't, but that was because he supernaturally prevented them from knowing. But once he allowed them to know, they were like, yes, Jesus. You know, it's like Mary Magdalene turns around. She's like, rabbi. Rabbi, whoa, you were dead and now you're alive, but that's you, right? They recognized him. He was truly human. If you want to have the guarantee that heaven is for real, that the other side is actually a real place, so you're gonna, you're gonna breathe real air, you're, gonna, you're really truly human, actually look to Jesus. Consider the resurrected body of Jesus. And in fact, in verses uh, 42 and 
through 53 in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll look at more detail of this. So you can look forward to that, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 43. We're going to look at more of that resurrection body. And so in the meantime, here's something you can do. Why don't you go through and study the resurrected body of Jesus? And look at what Jesus was able to do. And look forward to God giving you a body like that someday. Because Christ has been raised, like his resurrection, you will be resurrected too. And then the second point is, because Christ has been raised, at regeneration, your soul is resurrected to life. Look at verse number 21. Verse 21. For, or you could say, because, as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Notice that word for in verse 21 and verse 22. It starts off those verses and identifies that Paul was giving reasons why we can be confident in our inevitable resurrection. And the reason really looks like this. Just like Adam caused the death of all people, and we know that's real. We, we look around, the Bible teaches it, but we also look around at the sin of this world and death. Adam caused the death of all people. Christ will cause the resurrection of all those who are in Christ. So look at verse 21. Think about the reasoning here that he gives for confidence that we will be resurrected. Verse 21, for as by a man, that man is Adam. So notice he's going to parallel these two men, Adam and Jesus. We're going to look at the cause and effect these men had upon us. As by a man, Adam, came death. As a man, as by a man. And notice that Jesus is referred to as a man. You know why? Because he is truly man. He became man. So he's truly God, truly became man. So by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So who brought death into the world? Well, Genesis records that it was Adam, the very first human God created. And Adam was our human representative. He was the representative for the entire human race. And so Romans 5.12, you can read it on the screen here, or you can look it up yourself. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as Sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. So Romans 5, 12, 1 Corinthians 15, other texts of scripture teach that when Adam sinned, he was our representative. So that when he sinned, we were in Adam and all of us sinned as a human race. And his sin brought the curse upon himself, but also upon the rest of the human race. So verse 22, notice verse 22 reads, in Adam. So notice those two words, very important. In Adam, all die. So what does it mean that we are in Adam. Well, let me talk about two different aspects of it. One is biological. 
biologically all human DNA was generated, inherited from Adam. Consider the diversity of the human race. All of that diversity came from the original, original historical Adam. And the curse affected his body so that eventually his body failed and died. And he passed on those inherit, that inherit, that um, he passed on to us that um, corruptible type of body so that we are born, our bodies will fail, and eventually our bodies will die as well. So biologically, we're in Adam in that he has, we are generated from him and we inherited that type of corruptible body. Spiritually, number two, spiritually, all humans are in Adam in that we inherited his sin nature. We in inherited the sin nature of Adam. Your father, your biological father, passed on to you what ultimately Adam passed on to all of us, and that was a sinful nature. And our sinful nature has rendered our souls spiritually dead. That means that our souls, from conception, our souls are spiritually corrupt. Our souls are sinful, and therefore we sin our Natural bent is not to love God, it's to love ourselves. Our soul's desire is from birth to live outside of God's will instead of in the will of God. There's an article from December 11th, 2018 that was on the website of CNN, and they were trying to reason as to why all these evil things were happening in the world, thinking about some of the things that are happening, like mass shootings and just different epidemics and things like that. This is before 2020, I guess. That's interesting. But anyways, this is what was written by this author. When we hear about the bad things happening, especially when lives of many are lost or damaged at the hands of a few, we need to remind ourselves that people are generally good. We are hardwired for goodness. Like, so when we watch the news, we remember people are good, which is the exact opposite of what you're supposed to be thinking about. And you know that last line? I thought about this when I was coming in here this morning. I thought, hardwired. Who hardwired us? It's almost like there's a God who hardwired us. It's almost like CNN believes in God but he believes in a God who hardwired us to, for goodness, but yet we do evil. Okay, so he, that God didn't work out very well, did he? But the point is, this is what our world believes. Our world believes that humans are basically born good. Evil, our world believes, is only a result of your environment. The world believes that people only turn bad when external forces beyond their control turn them away from their basic goodness. So it's the idea that, you know, you, you would be a good person if you didn't have outside forces, maybe other individuals who are basically good, who I'm trying to follow the logic here, who, who get you to do things that are bad. Obviously, the logic doesn't work. And so the Bible teaches that it's not logical, but also the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible says in Psalm 58, 3, even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, so even before birth, from conception, the, the womb, they are wayward, spreading lies. Now, can you imagine if I were to go to Walmart 
I don't know why I use Walmart, but I go to Walmart, and I'm walking around, and I see a mom pushing a cart, and there's a little baby or a little kid in there, maybe like a four or five-year-old in there, and that four or five-year-old is screaming at the top of her lungs. You know, she's like screaming, I want, God, mom, get me this, and she's raging. You know, she's throwing things out, and I were to go to that mom, and I were to say, ma'am, can I just talk to you for a moment? Your kid is basically good. You, you must have taught him or her to be selfish, to be out of a control. Like, you must have taught him to be an insane brat. That mom probably would show me her sin nature, <laughs> right? But that, that we obviously know that's ridiculous, right? Like, that mom might respond back and say, no, this is just, this is how this child is. And, and maybe even go, and I don't know why. Because <laughs> every parent says that at some point. They go, why are you like this, you know? Well, what's the answer to that? Well, it's the answer. The answer is, well, we did have a part of it. They, they inherited that sin nature from us, but eventually, or it came from the past from Adam. We ask the question all the time, like, like, here's a question we ask, maybe not out loud, but in our own head, like, why are governments so corrupt, right? You've been asking yourself that question? <laughs> why, why do these things happen like this? Or, or you watch movies like that movie that came out in the theater where it talked about human trafficking, and you go, wow, how does that happen in our world? Or you think about abuse, and you go, why, why do these kind of things happen? Why is there this kind of evil in our world? And what's the answer? And can I just tell you, the answer is not environment. Your environment can inf- influence you. So kids, young people, I should say, in this room, if you have a sibling who provokes you, and annoys you, can they get you to be angry? Right? They, they can have an influence upon you. So we're not saying environment doesn't influence you at all. It definitely can have an influence upon you. But the truth is, is that the, what they're provoking within you is the sin that's already within you, right? And if you respond back with, with anger and with wrath, and you're out of control, and you're sinful, that's what was within you. I think about a, a, someone that pours Lighter fluid on a fire. All men like fire. Therefore, lighter fluid. And you take that lighter fluid and you pour them the fire and poof, like that flame goes up. That lighter fluid didn't start the fire, but it definitely caused it, caused it to enrage more, to rage more, to, to be bigger. And the same thing is true with our environment. Our environment can definitely affect our sin. It can cause it to actually be worse, Right? But the problem still remains, and that is we have the fire of iniquity within us. Each one of us is born with that fire of iniquity, and there's only one person who can extinguish it, and that is Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He's the one who takes our sin and forgives us. And so in verse 21, he says, as by a man, Adam came death. And by a man, and who's that man? That's Jesus came the resurrection of the dead. So notice the parallel. Adam was the first one who brought death. Jesus is the first man to eternally be resurrected who causes our resurrection. Verse 22, as in Adam all die. So who's in Adam? That's every human that's ever lived, right? All in Adam die. So too, all in Christ shall be made alive. And so look at verse 22, because you might misunderstand it. It says, so also in Christ shall all 
be made alive. So everybody gets resurrected to life to live with God forever. Is that what that teaches? No, that's universalism, which basically says that no matter what you believe, you're going to be resurrected to be with the Lord forever. So it doesn't really matter. That's not what that verse teaches, because notice he says, also in Christ shall all be made alive. Who is the all? It's all in Christ. So the question is, are you in Christ? What's interesting in the scripture, you only find the, the title Christian three times. We most often call ourselves Christians. The most often way that we are identified as Christians in the New Testament is actually the phrase in Christ. It's used 130 times and identifies the fact that God has applied the work of Jesus Christ to our soul. So here in verse 22, what he teaches that those who are in Christ shall be made alive. So Adam was our representative who caused death through his sin. Notice this, Jesus is our representative that gives life through his death for our sin and his own resurrection. And in his resurrection, he's able to share with us uh, his own resurrection so that we are then therefore resurrected. But again, who is this for? It's for those who are in Christ. In Christ means that there was a time that you were in Adam, but God has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has caused you to be born into another family, and that is the family of God. So therefore, you're in Christ. To be in Christ means you were once in Adam. You were in that corrupt family, but then God changed your position to be in Christ, and you were born again into God's family. That's the work of God we call regeneration. This is what Jesus said. You must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who believe the gospel, if you believe the gospel, your soul has been brought to life, has been resurrected by God through the power of Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit. In fact, think about 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed, praise, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, it's nothing that you deserve. He has caused us to be born again, resurrected in our souls, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And how does that happen? Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. One of, the, one of the great illustrations of this is in Acts chapter 8, where you have an Ethiopian man who's traveling back down to northern Africa. He came from Jerusalem, and he's lost. Like He, he, he knows the, the sin of his guilt weighs upon him. He, he wants religion. He even got a, a book of a portion of Isaiah and is trying to, to read this religious book, but he doesn't understand it. He knows that he doesn't know the Lord. He has a problem. He's sitting in his chariot and God sends Philip the evangelist. And Philip the evangelist sits next to this man in the chariot. And the Bible says in Acts 8.35 that Philip explained the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Philip planted that gospel into the mind of, of that Ethiopian eunuch. 
And the Ethiopian eunuch received God's word, believed it, and he went from a man who was in Adam to being in Christ. And his dead soul was resurrected, and he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think probably the most important question, I shouldn't say probably, it is the most important question in your life, and that is this question, are you born again? Or another way to say that is, are you in Christ? And if you don't know the answer to that question, then you need to find out the answer as soon as possible. Because this text of scripture says, those in Christ will have a day when their body dies and Christ will appear. And if you're in Christ, you will be resurrected to new life for eternity. Then notice, last of all, We're not going to be able to get through this one, unfortunately. I think I talked too much. That's okay. We'll finish the next two points at the very, or next week. But we'll just talk about this last point. Because he says, or I should say that the point is this. Because Christ has been raised, at his coming, your body will be resurrected to life. So notice in verse 23, verse 29, he tells us the order of events of resurrection. And we're going to see first God resurrected Christ. Then we're going to see in this life, God resurrects soul, souls to be in Christ. Next, Christ will resurrect in the future our bodies to be with Christ. And then comes the very end. So look at verse 23. It says, but each... In his own order. So here's the order of resurrection. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Verse 24. Then comes the end. Notice the order of resurrection. Christ was resurrected. That was around 30 AD. And we're about 2,000 years since that time. The next Uh, The next event on the schedule God has is the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And Christ's coming, his second coming, is eminent. It can happen any day. And Christ's coming really takes place in two stages. First, you have a coming for the church. And that's going to happen at any moment. And when that happens, his church will rise to meet the Lord in the air. And at that moment, we will have our bodily resurrection. There will be a seven years, there will be seven years of tribulation and judgment upon the earth. And then Christ will come with his church back to the earth to reign and rule for a thousand years. And then verse 24 says, the end, that's the consummation of all things. So let me fast forward a little bit here. Because what we're looking forward to next, the next event is when Christ comes for his church. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 gives a wonderful description of this. This is what our hope, our longing should be as Christians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are alive, so if you're still alive, if it happens today, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The idea is that no matter where we are, we'll always stay with the Lord. And the Bible says after that, so encourage one another with these words. Because that's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to that event. And at that event, our bodies will be resurrected. And let me point out this one last thing about verse 23 and 24. He says, Christ the first fruits. And if you're a Bible student, you probably recognize that that's speaking about uh, a festival that Israel had called the Festival of First Fruits. And Israel had seven feasts, seven festivals that they were cel- to celebrate every year. So notice in verse 23, Christ the first fruits is, is speaking of that festival that was a prophetic festival that looked forward to Jesus' resurrection. Leviticus chapter 23 says that each family on that day was to bring their first fruits. Do you know what day that festival started? It started on Sunday. So you bring the harvest, the first fruits of your harvest on that Sunday. The next feast on the calendar for Israel was the feast of weeks, or we know it as the feast of, what is it? Pentecost. And there was another festival celebrating the harvest. And for the New Testament believers, we recognize that on Pentecost, the the church started, the Holy Spirit came, Christ sent the Holy Spirit, and it will end, that period will end when the church goes to be with Christ. The next feast on the calendar for Israel is called the Feast of Trumpets. And Numbers 29 says that it was a day of trumpet blasts to commemorate the end of the agricultural season. So the Feast of Trumpets says that there's going to be an end. So you look at verse 23 and 24, and you can see these three feasts of Israel right then. And I think this helps us understand something. That is that God views history kind of like agriculture. Like like you're going to go to a field and you're going to pluck out the ones that are ripe. And then you're going to come back and get the rest that are ripe. And eventually you're going to get all of them, right? And Christ is that first fruits. God the Father, he was ripe and ready to be plucked. And he was resurrected. There will be a day when he will resurrect us. And there will be a day when others and finally all those who believe in him will be resurrected. So I think this helps us to understand that God has his timing. And this helps us because I think there's many times where we wonder, what is God doing? You ever thought that? Like, what's happening in our country? What's happening in our world? What's even happening in our life? God has his timing. The scripture says Christ is on the throne. In fact, look at verse 25. Just look at to next week. You're going to see this. It says, he must reign. That's Jesus. In fact, we're learning that song, he reigns. That's what it's talking about. Jesus right now is reigning. So we, by faith, believe that in those macro events of our country and of our history, of this, of our, of our, I should say of the history of our country and as we think about what's happening in our country, and then even as our, those micro events of our school and our work and our projects and those relationships that are causing issues, God has his timing. He's in charge. And so what are we to do? Well, look back to the resurrection of Christ. He rose, he's on the throne, he reigns, and look forward to the day when, the Christ, when Christ the King will come back and he will resurrect our bodies to new life and we will forever be with the Lord.
And that's the day we look forward to. Earlier we sang this song, Christ our hope in life and death. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ he lives. So till, until we die, we're going to sing Christ he lives, Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord and sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast forevermore in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Amen to that truth. May we rest, meditate, and trust in that throughout this week until the last breath that we take. Let's pray.